Well, I want to start off with a little story. Um, Dustin and Todd have a unique ability to always kind of include some funny little stories in their, in their, in their messages. And I want to start with one. This, y'all ever seen one of these little things? You know the cool thing about this one? I love it. It's Joshua's. It does that. It does that. And then when you spin it, you know what's really funny? Is when Joshua has this in the back seat and you're coming home from Jonesboro and it's dark. And Cindy sees it in the mirror. And then she realizes it's Joshua. She goes, Joshua, put that down. I thought it was the police behind me. And my first thought was, why were you worried? But she was, she's a good driver. She was driving good. It's just, I saw it in the corner of my eye. Cindy was driving. I saw it in the corner of my eye. And I thought, man, I'm fixing to jump down here and have a, I mean, I could just see it flashing. I thought I was going to have a, an epileptic fit or something. But anyway, isn't that cool looking? In the dark, it's really cool. Y'all get it. And, uh, oh, you can do all kinds of, see, that one rotates. So you can do it like that. Isn't that cool? Imagine that being behind you at night. Yeah. So anyway, that's my funny story for tonight. So y'all might as well get your laughing out of the way. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Actually, I want to start tonight with a story. Um, when I was called into full-time ministry, I lived in the, in the Richardson Plano area of Texas. And if you know anything about that area... It is very much a high-tech center. Matter of fact, Plano is the home of EDS. Y'all remember Ross Perot had EDS and, uh, and EDS on their home. That's their corporate headquarters. You realize there's 8,000 people that worked there when I was there in the 90s. Imagine taking everybody in wind and putting it in one place and everybody working there. That's what happened. But we're also the headquarters for um, uh, Frito-Lay and uh, J.C. Penney's. Dr. Pepper, Schweppes, Dr. Pepper. We had uh, Texas Instruments. We had E-Systems, which was a defense contractor. We had all kinds of high-tech stuff. And when I lived there, technology was kind of changing a little bit. Matter of fact, even in churches, technology was changing. I, I had actually spent time uh, before uh, going to ministry in, in, with a company that, that managed uh, data. So I was part programmer, networker, all this stuff, trainer, document writer, all this stuff. And so technology wasn't anything that was new to me. And in fact, churches were beginning to, to go from uh, overhead. Y'all remember using overheads? Did you know if you use the wrong film, you can ruin a drum in a, in, a, in, a, in a copier? And your administrator is not happy when you have to replace that thing. But overheads were great. Remember, we'd put that thing up there and we could ride on it and shake it off. But then we started going to projectors. Y'all remember when churches started going to projectors? Maybe you remember when... When Wind Baptist over that, we were doing it, and technology was kind of starting to advance. Cell phones were coming out. Well, actually, they were more like walkie-talkies. You remember those World War II walkie-talkies we called cell phones back then? You know, I had that antenna. I had a friend of mine that put it on his, on his belt, and I said, dude, you're going to need suspenders because we're going to walk in your pants. It's just going to drop down, and uh, you're going to be embarrassed at church. And so, uh, but I remember those old brick phones and then bag phones and then the clamshell and all those things, and some of the kids are like, what? Look it up. Google it. Um, but you remember, technology was changing. And, and to be honest, it changed pretty quickly. Uh, it didn't take long before, I mean, everybody, had, it seemed like everybody had a cell phone. Y'all remember paying for roaming charges? Oh, yeah. Don't you use that phone if you go on roaming. Now we call all over the world. It doesn't seem to matter, does it? 
Well, there was a man who had a vision. He was a visionary, an entrepreneur, and he had a vision for what he called a, a video voice box. He didn't have any, any other name for it at the time. And it's really kind of akin to, uh, to our smartphones on our uh, FaceTime, you know, where you can see and talk to people, um, conference call, you could bring people in and you could see you know, camera and voice and all that stuff. And uh, he had designed it. He had a vision for this, and he hired an engineer, and he says, I need you to build this. Can you do it? The guy looked over the plans and went, I can do this. He says, all right, I'll be back in a year. Okay? And he left. He had some other projects. Gave him the money that he had raised with his investors and, and stuff and went on to do other projects. Well, the engineer began looking at all the stuff that was going to be involved, and, and he began getting parts in, and stuff. parts were building up, and so he began to build warehouses, and he began to study warehousing. And warehousing's not bad because we need product. When you're building something, you need raw materials. And you need them on hand when you, when you need them or production can, can get behind. And so he began studying warehousing. He went to Germany. He went to uh, uh, Japan. He went all over the world studying. And, and they built the most elaborate and most efficient and effective warehousing system in the world. And they were ecstatic. In fact, that threw a huge company party. It had grown, I don't know, hundreds, thousands of employees, and, and they threw a company party, and everybody was thinking there was food and hamburgers and hot dogs and drinks and games for the kids and balloons and face painting, and they were having a great time. And then off in the distance, this helicopter lands. People are going, who's that? Who's that? And, and the entrepreneur, the visionary, gets out, and he's excited because he's figured, guess what? They have built my, my, uh, my video voice phone, and now we can get busy making money. And so he, he goes up, and the people, he's asking people, hey, where's the, where's the video voice box? Where's, where's the video voice box? And they're like, uh, what? Well, we don't know what you're talking about. And so he finds the engineer that he had hired originally to build this thing, and he finds him up on the table with all the leaders and the heads of the company, and he says, man, where's my, where's my video voice box? Man, there must be, he built it. Look at this party. You, you, you couldn't have thrown a party without him building that voice box. And the guy said, no, he says, we haven't even got to that yet. We've, we've just been building a warehouse. And we have the best warehouse in the world. And the entrepreneur was dejected. And he looked at that man and he said, sir, I hired you to build me a product not build me a warehouse. And he fired that man. He fired everybody in the company. He went and found another company in six months, had his video voice box. You see, he had given him orders to make a product, not build a warehouse. Well, you know, Jesus has given the church orders too, hadn't he? You do know and realize that the church was God's idea from the beginning, right? It wasn't ours. The way we do church may be our idea. But the church was God's idea. In fact, Jesus says, when he's talking to Peter, and then he says, listen, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus didn't say he'd build your church, did he? Or my church, or our church. He said, I will build my church. See, the church is God's. The church is Jesus's. And he gave us marching orders. He gave us, he says, listen, 
When I go, I want you to make a product. I do not want you to become a warehouse for Christians. And yet I think churches all over the United States have become warehouse for Christians rather than make disciples the product that Jesus had called us to make. I wonder if Jesus were to walk into churches today and he said, show me the product, what would people say? I think there'd be a lot of people going, what product? I think there'd be a lot of people like the employees of that company going, what product? I don't, what's he talking about? What are we supposed to be making? I wonder if he would not just, like, the, like that business owner, close down several churches. Because they are not about making the product that Jesus had called us to make from the very beginning. If you have your Bibles, turn to me to Matthew 28. And beginning with verse 18, this is not new to you. This is, this is, this is, you know, we know this is the great commission. This is not new to you. But Jesus, here he is standing here with his disciples, these followers. These have given up everything. They have been through the tough times with Jesus. They've been through his death on the cross. They have been through his resurrection. And now Jesus is standing there and he's about to ascend into heaven. When he says, all authority have been, has been given to me on heaven and on earth. And basically, because I have that authority now, I am sending you. Go and do what? Make a product. What is that product called? A disciple. Did he say go and make warehouses for Christians? Yes, no. No, thank you. He's never called us to make a warehouse for Christians. He said, I want you to go make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to teach them to observe. And, and if you got your Bible, how many of your Bibles say observe? Does it say observe in there? Circle that, put a line up there and say obey. Because the meaning of that word is to watch and then do. You see, when I think of observe, you know what I think? Oh yeah, that's pretty good. All right, next. Oh yeah, that's pretty good. That's not what Jesus was saying. He's saying, listen, teach them to observe. Teach them to live out in obedience the things that I've taught you. You know what the cool thing about this whole process of making disciples is about? You know what's really cool about that? Jesus says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you do that. We call it the Great Commission. My mentor and and pastor, uh, I heard him call this one time the Great Co-Mission. Because we aren't on mission. Jesus didn't say, go make, 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 go make disciples. And oh, by the way, you're going to be on your own. Did he? He didn't say that. He said, oh, by the way, go make disciples. And I'm going to be with there to help you. I'm on mission with God. We're on mission with Jesus. This isn't our mission. This is his mission for us. And he said he's going to be with us. That last one's free. You see, I think... The problem with the church today is that so many churches have become warehouses for Christians rather than a factory of making disciples. Like I said, I wonder how many churches he would close, like that owner closed that that company because um, they don't know what to make and they're not making them. Would Jesus walk in here today and say, 
Show me your, show me your disciples. Will we point to Dustin? Because I see students coming in here and, and accepting Jesus Christ and being baptized and then being, being discipled beyond that. Will we point to Todd and say, well, man, Todd's making disciples because I see them those children accepting Jesus Christ in the orchard and in Win Littles, and I see them being discipled in those areas. What about our adult ministries? Could we point to people who are making disciples? Would Jesus go, oh yeah, Win Baptist Church. Come here, guys, you want to know how to make disciples? Go watch Win Baptist Church. Would he do that? What about our Sunday morning Bible study? Our small group Bible study ministry? You ever wonder why we get together in little rooms together? Some of them rooms are not so little. Some of our groups are not so little. You ever wonder why we do that every Sunday? You ever wonder why that ministry even exists at Wind Baptist Church? Why do we have small group Bible studies? At Wind Baptist Church. Why do they exist? That's the question I want to answer tonight. And help you let us get on board together. Moving together forward from here. Because I think it's important that we understand. Why small group Bible studies exist here at Wind Baptist Church. And I'm not just talking about Sundays. It could be our men's you know, Thursday and Wednesday night Bible studies. It could be our ladies Tuesday morning and Wednesday evening Bible studies. It could be. Or any ministry that we're doing. Why do we exist? I want us to answer that. If I were to ask you why they exist, maybe some of the things you would say is, well, it's for fellowship. Okay? You call talking about Arkansas football and over donuts and coffee, that fellowship's not going to last long. Less miles is still available, guys. You know what, LSU, somebody put that for LSU yesterday. Isn't that funny? They lost to Troy. Is it about Bible study? Sure, we study the Bible. Is it about community and building community? Sometimes. Prayer, maybe. Is it about eating? Well, yeah, we're Baptists. We eat to meat and meat to eat. That's the privilege of my position. I get to find out who brought good stuff for breakfast on Sundays, and I go hang out. Some of y'all are stuck with whatever you get. See, all of these are important. But it's not, none of these are the reason why we, we have Sunday morning Bible study. They help us in our purpose and our cause uh, and the reason why they, uh, Sunday school exists. They help us, but they're not the primary reason. The same reason that the church exists today is the exact same reason why you and I gather together in small group Bible study on Sunday mornings or Mondays or Wednesdays or Tuesdays, Thursday mornings, whenever. And that is to make disciples. The same purpose for small group Bible study is the exact same purpose Christ gave to the church before he left. In fact, I've heard Don say this, and I've said it, and I know some of you have heard us say this, but our 
small group Bible study here at Wind Baptist Church, that ministry is the primary ministry through which we make disciples. Let me just tell you, this isn't the primary ministry through which we make disciples in this room right here. I love worship. I do. And we got some great folks. I mean, even tonight, Rex and Amanda and the team, they did a great job. I love to worship. And Jeff and the rest of the team, Lisa and everybody plays and sings up here, does a great job. But guys, this is not where disciples are made. It may help, but this is not the primary ministry for making disciples. In fact, I've heard Don say from this pulpit, if you were going to miss an hour on Sunday morning, miss this one right here in worship. Do not miss getting connected to a small group ministry because that's where you're going to grow as a disciple. And so I want, to, I want you to know that small group Bible study in Wind Baptist Church is very, very important. Do not miss why we get together. Do not miss why we have trainings for our leaders. Do not miss why we provide curriculum. Do not miss why we ask some of you to change rooms and to move around. Please do not miss that. It is everything we do in that ministry is to guide you to help us grow and make disciples. Because I don't want to stand before Jesus and he said, what happened at Wind Baptist Church? I called you there. I gave you the resources. And you guys couldn't make disciples? I don't want to stand before God and have to answer that question. We exist to make disciples, and especially in our small group Bible studies. The problem is, is that many of us don't know what the product actually looks like. Just like those, those people that worked for the warehouse companies. They didn't know what the product was supposed to look like. They just knew all the parts. They didn't know how they went together. They didn't know what the end product was supposed to look like. And listen, that's not your fault. Your leadership, including me, ought to be telling you, this is what a disciple looks like here at Wind Baptist Church. And tonight, I want to help us do that. Because I think we can't start taking a step forward to making disciples until we understand what it is we're supposed to be making. What does that look like here at Wind Baptist Church? I mean, it's hard for you to make a product. You don't have a vision. If I just said, go out and make something, and I didn't tell you what that looked like and how it went together and, and, and what the finished product was supposed to look like, you'd have a hard time making that. The same thing goes with making a disciple. And so tonight, I want us to, to look at definitions of a disciple. Now, I, I think the definition ought to be simple. It ought to be something that you can, you, you ought to be able to recite from memory just like that. It shouldn't be something that you go, okay, now listen. Listen, if it doesn't fit on a t-shirt, we're not going to remember it. That's how you have a friend of mine say it. If you can't fit it on a t-shirt, you won't remember it. Matter of fact, my first church, when God called me into full-time ministry, my mentor, um, uh, and some of you know Gene, you've heard him speak here for a, a Global Impact Conference. He's leading the, the, the session on, on, on the life and ministry of Paul. I remember when I went to that church and God was changing my life and, and saying, hey, it's time for you to get back into a relationship with me. And I went to like the new members class and began being discipled in that church. I today can tell you what a disciple is in that church. A disciple was one who knows Christ, shares Christ, and multiplies Christ in the life of another. To this day, I still remember that. 
That was in the late 80s, early 90s. Sorry, I can't do the math on that right off the top of my head. But I still today remember, know Christ, share Christ, multiply Christ in the life of another. That's what we're called to do. When I became a Bible study leader in that church, I took, I took our definition of a disciple and going, all right, Mike, am I, how am I helping our, our class know Christ, share Christ, multiply Christ in the life of another? How am I doing that as a leader? How am I helping our people know Christ, share Christ, multiply life, uh, Christ in the life of another? How am I doing that personally? How am I modeling that for my class? There was a church in the Portland area when we lived there, and I loved, their, I loved what they used to They used to say, we want to bring them in, build them up, and boot them out. And I love that, because their idea is, we want to reach the lost, we want to grow them up, but we don't want them to sit here, we want them to take the gospel back out there and do the same thing. Bring them in, build them up, and boot them out. What about Wind Baptist Church? If I were to ask you tonight, to get in small groups and say, I want you to come up with a very simple, easy way of defining a disciple. Um, I may get something like, well, it's a follower of Jesus, a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Anybody ever heard that one before? I've heard it. problem is, I don't know what that means. It's so generic and so big that, what does that mean? Fully devoted follower of Christ. Some of them say, well, they're a learner. Okay. You know, lots of people who learn, that doesn't make them a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so I want to help give us something, a foundation for something that we can move forward with tonight. And if you have your Bibles, you turn to Matthew, turn back over to the left to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, at the very beginning, matter of fact, at the end of chapter 3, Jesus had been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Right after that, it says that the Spirit took him into the wilderness, and going into chapter 4, where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights without eating and drinking anything. And during that time, the devil tempted him three times. And he overcame those temptations with Scripture. Here's what, you know the cool thing about that is? It says, when he finished, the devil left him. Who came and ministered to him? Anybody know? The angels. Would that not be cool? You're sitting there going, man, listen, because I guarantee you, some of us, we don't eat for four hours. We're hungry, much less 40 days. Imagine the angels come and ministering to you after that time of fasting and overcoming the enemy, the devil. Would that not be cool? Well, right after that, Jesus begins to transition into his earthly mission. And it says that he, he moved his, his base of operations to Capernaum, which was on the Sea of Galilee. And down a little further, he, uh, he goes and he meets some guys. Peter and Andrew. And he sees them living life. They're just living life. They're doing their job. They've got families. They got, they're taking care of business. And in verse 19, Jesus approaches these two men who are in the, in the throes of doing business. And he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now understand, it's not the first time they met Jesus. If you go to John chapter 3, you'll see that, that, uh, that Andrew 
had been with John the Baptist when John the Baptist saw Jesus and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Andrew runs back and tells Peter, We have found the Messiah, the Christ, the one who had been prophesied. Matter of fact, Jesus had been teaching and, and uh, says in one of the Gospels he had been teaching and the crowds come. And so he gets in one of the boats and the boat was owned by Peter and he says, push out. So he's teaching and after a while he says, cast your nets over to the right. And they're like, yeah, but Jesus, we've been working all night. We know this. I mean, we're from here. This is, this is our land. This is our, man, we didn't catch anything. He says, throw your nets over the side of the boat. And they did. And you know the story. What happened? Yeah, the net's filled. Matter of fact, it was overflowing, wasn't it, Jim? They had to call their buddies and go, come help us. We're going to dump our boat over. So they had encountered this, this Jesus who had done something miraculous. They knew something was different about him. And you can read on through John chapter 3, you know, Philip and Nathaniel and that. And, and, and then later on in, in Matthew. The invitation was always the same. Come follow me. But to these men, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What a powerful, powerful statement. Here's what I want you to know. The invitation is also the definition. The invitation is also the definition. And I want to give you, there are three parts to this verse that help us define what a disciple is. And I want to walk through each of those parts. And then I'm going to summarize it with just a quick phrase so that, so that we can remember what we're doing, what we're talking about. The first part is, number one, he says, come, follow me. And it is simply that Jesus is inviting us into this intentional relationship where we intentionally and consciously submit our lives to him and follow him. Now, Jesus' invitation to these men wasn't something that just happened. As a matter of fact, they had huge cultural and contextual implications. What you may not know is that earlier, back in, in this day, during Jesus' day, when he walked around on the, on the earth with Peter and John and the rest of them, that, that when they were younger, one of the parents, or maybe even a rabbi and, uh, in the local synagogue, would begin teaching them the Torah. The Word of God. The first five books of the Bible. And they would begin memorizing it. Can you imagine memorizing the first five books of the Bible? Some of us have problems memorizing our shopping list at Walmart or a verse, one verse. Right? I've got shopping lists on a, it's electronic. I mean, I learned early on, if my mom sent me to the store for two items, I would get one and forget the other. So I started writing everything down. But these kids... Kids would begin learning and memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Now, once they got to a certain age, the girls, and, and this is just what they did, it wasn't the whatever, this is what they the girls would go back to mom, and mom would begin training them how to be a wife and a mom and to manage the household. That's just what they did. And then the men, the young men who who really just didn't show really any proclivity or inclination towards the scriptures. They would head back to the family business. And we see this because we know James and John worked with their dad. And, and Peter and Andrew probably worked together. That was Fishing was probably the family business. But those young men who, who showed some kind of a, really a special understanding of Scripture, they would get an invitation from the rabbi. And here's what he would say. He would go to them and say, come, follow me. 
And it was the invitation to begin the relationship where they took their life and submitted it to the authority of the rabbi. And they would walk behind him. They would do whatever he did. They would say what he said. They would say the prayers. And there's some strange stories about some of these guys. You know, they wanted to know everything the rabbi did. They would hide where he would go to the bathroom and go, okay, when he's going to the bathroom, what prayer would he say? Or hide in the bedroom when he would go to bed at night with his wife. And, what, and I'm like, that's just too much. You know, I want to I emulate this guy, but that's just what going way too far for me. But that's how serious they took this, uh, this, this idea of following the rabbi. It was an intentional and conscious decision to remove their rights to make decisions for their life and to follow after the rabbi. Peter and Andrew never got that invitation when they were kids. They never got that invitation until a man named Jesus walked into their life and said, come, follow me. They understood what that meant. They understood this was a lifetime. This was a lifestyle. This was something that didn't stop, but it, it went on and on and on. And they knew that when they left their boats and they left those nets there to, to go and engage in this relationship with this rabbi, this teacher, with Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Andrew proclaimed, that things were going to be different. And that's what Jesus, his invitation to you and me, he says, come, follow me. Enter into this relationship with me, not just as, as your Savior. Yes, he came to be our Savior, but he also came to be our Lord. And he says, come, follow me. Intentionally and consciously take and leave your rights there. Leave your rights to make the decisions for your life and come and follow me and submit your life to my authority. Matter of fact, there was a saying back in those days, may the dust of your rabbi fall upon you. That meant, may you walk so closely with that man, with that leader, that the dust of his feet would fall upon you. You know what? May the dust of your rabbi fall upon you. May you walk that closely with Jesus. It's intentional and it's conscious. So what does that look like? Because let me ask you something. I mean, if you think about it, Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and all those guys who heard the invitation, come follow me, and, 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 and left everything and went, went to follow Jesus, don't you think it was, I don't know, would it be easier to follow somebody you could talk with, that you could have coffee with and you could talk about things? Jesus, what do you think about that? You know, that you could follow and you knew where he was going because he went down this road. And if he's going down that road, I'm going down that road. If he decides to pull off in this field and, and have lunch, I'm going to pull off in this field and have lunch. And, you know, if he wanted to talk about a certain theological topic, I could ask him, Jesus, what do you think about that? Wouldn't it be easier to follow somebody that was inside your Bible study class and you could go, Jesus, what do you think? Because Paul, who in Acts chapter 9 met this same Jesus and gave up everything he had ever known about religion and life with God for this new life and submitted everything. Matter of fact, if you go to Philippians, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 3, uh, 4 through 7, he talks about how all the things that he had accomplished. Man, I was a Pharisee. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
I wasn't just born into Israel. I was born into the tribe of, G- of Benjamin. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I did everything right as far as zeal, my passion for the church, for what I knew in my relationship with God. I was willing to go take care of these people, this new sect who called themselves Christians. But he said, I count all of that as rubbish in light of my relationship with God. He was willing to lay all that back. But Paul and you and me, how do we follow a Jesus that we can't touch or feel or or have conversations with and, and really hear, like sitting across my desk having a cup of coffee and go, well, Jesus, I'm having this problem. What do you think I should do? I'm only thinking he sounds like this. Well, Mike, you know, one of those great men of wisdom, you know. I think he has like a British accent because we give those guys a lot more credit for wisdom, don't we? Um, I think we, we, we follow God follow Christ by staying connected through his word and we listen for his voice as he speaks from those pages into our lives let me tell you what that looks like and the reason I say this is because man God has been speaking to me through a verse on on Thursday mornings in our men's Bible study we've been going through uh, I think we're on number five or six now but 15 verses that every man should know and uh, the last couple weeks was um was uh, uh, Philippians 4, 8. And Paul writes, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on such things. And I've been thinking about that. Really, I've been, that verse, Jesus has been using that verse to teach us some things about what I say and how I say and what I'm looking at and what I listen to and, and what I think about. And literally, I, I stop and think, and it's like Christ is speaking to me and says, is that, is that true? Is that something that's pure? Is that lovely and admirable? Is that excellent? Is that going to help your relationship with me? Man, that'll convince you in a hurry. And so God's been using that verse, and he's been speaking into my life through this verse, how I talk to people, what I say when I talk to them, how I treat others. How I act in certain circumstances. And he's given me the opportunity. He says, Mike, here's what I want to know. Will you consciously and intentionally follow me and live in obedience to me? Or not? Are you going to follow me? See, that's how you learn to follow Jesus. You got to get into his word. You got to talk to him in prayer. You got you to spend some intentional time with him. Just like these men did with the rabbi. To come and follow me means that we are to know Christ. Know Christ. That's how we can do it. Do you know Christ? Not just as your Lord, but you as your Savior, but as your Lord? Are you following him? Are you consciously and intentionally getting up every day going, I'm going to follow you today, God. I'm going to know you experientially in a new way today. Know Christ. Come and follow me. Here's the second one. He says, not only do I want you to come and follow me, but I will make you. Did you get the, catch that right in there? I will make you. I will make you is about being transformed by Jesus through the Holy Spirit working in us. We've been talking about that. John's been talking about the Spirit in us working, manifesting the character and the nature of Jesus Christ within us. 
here's what it's funny we often think we have to do all this stuff right i gotta go do all this stuff or i won't be a disciple but jesus says you know what i'm gonna be doing that in you while you follow me while you live in obedience to me while you're choosing to live according to to my plans for you then the holy spirit is going to be working i'm going to be working in you and i'm going to be transforming you into my likeness into my character into my desires here's the great thing about the invitation to follow jesus he takes us just like we are isn't that cool man i don't have to get cleaned up i don't have to straighten out my past to follow jesus I don't have to, to, to be ashamed of anything I've done because Jesus says, just come as you are. Because once you come and you start living in relationship with me and you start submitting your life to mine, then I will work in you to transform you. So you're not going to stay there. I don't want you to stay there. I want you to become more like me. And so he is going to be working in you as you live in obedience to Christ. Isn't that cool? Because if it was up to me, I don't know if I'd get there or not. But it's not. It's up to Christ. And he says, I will make you. Now, I want, I want you to know that as we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus, he does a couple of things. He changes our worldview, number one. We began seeing the world through, through Christ, through his word. Through his love for this world. And so he changes our worldview. He, it matters, what matters to him begins to matter to us. What we do and how we do it begins to look different. We're going to look at this in a couple of weeks. When we talk about how we make disciples. But we begin to look different to the people around us. Because... Christ is transforming us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so not only do we know Christ through our experience, but we grow in Christ, allowing the Spirit of God to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. So we know Christ, grow in Christ. The third part, he says, so he says, come, follow me. And I will, I will make you, what did he say? Fishers of men. You see, as we begin consciously and intentionally following Jesus and putting our life behind his, where he begins to, we begin to look like him, and he begins to transform us into his likeness and into his character, and, 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 and his presence in us begins to manifest itself to those around us, we get Christ's heart and mission for this world. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, you know what his mission was? To seek and save that which was lost. In Mark 10, 45, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His job, his mission was, was for lost people. His mission was for lost people. And as we are being transformed in his likeness, his mission becomes our mission. We began seeing the world differently. Isn't that cool? We began to see when differently. 
And as we see wind differently, wind's going to see Wind Baptist Church differently. Because I don't know if you know it or not, but when I got here, I just started asking around because nobody knew me. Hey, what do you, what do you know about that Wind Baptist Church? Oh, that big church. Oh, the big rich church. Yeah, that's just too big. That's a big church. I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable there. And then on and on. As a matter of fact, I've been in some of your classes your small group Bible says, you've told me what this community is. So you're not, you are aware of that. But have we done anything to conquer that? We can wear shirts that say we love wind, but if the church, if the community doesn't know we actually love wind, they don't care what our t-shirts say. You see, when we get Jesus' heart for this community, we won't have to wear t-shirts. Because they'll know Hey, man, if you need help, go to Wind Baptist Church. If you need help with your marriage, man, there's some people at Wind Baptist Church that love you and will, will work with you and help you in your marriage. Hey, hey, man, are you struggling financially? Hey, they're going to help you develop processes and, and, and practices in your, in your life and in your budget so that you won't have to live check, paycheck to paycheck. They're going to help you. Hey, are you dealing with some stuff that you just don't know what to do? Man, go hang out at Wind Baptist Church. Those guys want to help you. Because they care for this community. And they care for the people in this community. I want to I share something, an observation of mine. When I meet somebody, and, and uh, they'll, they say where they work, I say, oh, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, they're great people. How do you know them? Oh, they go to church with me. Where do you go to church? Wind Baptist. Oh, Wind Baptist Church. You see what they did? They think you're great. But they don't think that because you're great and you go to Wind Baptist Church, then Wind Baptist Church might be great. They separate you from Wind Baptist Church. That's kind of weird, isn't it? But that's a perception. Unless you know the old axiom, perception is reality. And so we need to get Jesus' mission in us. And that happens as you and I decide to consciously and intentionally live under Christ's authority, live in obedience to him, allowing the Spirit to transform us into the manifested presence of Christ in us. And as that happens, we get the mission of Christ. I think there are people here who hear they get it, but here we haven't got it yet. Matter of fact, there's some here who are still living the same spiritual year, year after year after year, and they've never grown from that. I was serving at a church one time, and I was meeting with one of our older gentlemen in our church, and, and I was going through this, this process of, of, of talking about discipleship and going through the, this, the process of maturity. through, And um, he stopped, and I remember he was looking like this, and he just looked at me, and he said, Mike, I think I've been a Christian and I've been involved in this church for many years, but I think I'm still a spiritual infant or a spiritual child. It was the most courageous thing I had ever heard anybody tell me about their walk with the Lord as a disciple. I thought, he got it. He understands where he is, but he also understands where he needs to go. Now what we need to do is help him connect some dots so that he can get there. See, I think 
a lot of people know what the Bible says about being a disciple. The question is, is do we really want to do it? Do you want to do it? We know what the Bible says. We talk about what the Bible says. But do we really want to do it when it comes to making disciples? I have a video. Don showed this video to us a couple of weeks ago on Thursday morning. And it's not a long video, but it's Francis Chan. And he's talking about how not to make disciples. Watch with me. Okay, if it doesn't come up, I'm supposed to give them a minute. Okay, we're going to take a minute. Everybody stand up and stretch your arms. No, I'm kidding. We'll be out of here soon with this. Computer one, are you up, guys? Are we coming? All right, well, I can talk about discipleship some more. Here's, here's what I think about. Okay, here it is. Good. Woo. Good job. Good job, guys. You're awesome. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. Right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. <laughs> it, it Simon says, is, uh, you know, you just, Simon says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus says, is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, you, you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. <laughs> I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said Talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I'd start making disciples. Yeah. He was talking to a bunch of pastors, so when he talks about it, I can even tell you, tell you in Greek, they got it. Um, but did you get that? Okay, I'll say it again. How many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hand, got a little twinge? Kind of in your heart or in your stomach or a little jab that went. Yeah, I, I know that we're supposed to do it, but I'm not doing it. I'm not making disciples. I, I think it's come true within the church that discipleship has become based on how much we know about God. Or it's about the events that we host and are involved in. Or where we serve or how much we're serving. That if we serve more... We'll be more like Jesus. And yet Jesus says, all I'm asking you to do is come follow me. Allow me to work within you and allow you to be transformed into my likeness. My character and my nature and my heart for this world. And, and let my mission become your mission. In Wynn, Arkansas, 
the United States and across the world. See, Jesus' heart was about people, lost people. And making disciples doesn't start with existing Christians just trying to make them smarter or better. It starts with lost people and helping them walk into, through that process of being more like Jesus and getting his heart and then going out and doing something with that. So we know Christ, we grow in Christ, and then we go for Christ. And here's, here's what this looks like all together. Guys, go ahead and put that next slide up. That's what that looks like. That when we are going, doing the come follow me, we are entering to an experiential knowledge of Jesus because we live with him. And then next is, is he will, he, I will make you, that we are growing in our walk with him, our understanding of him. And he is transforming us through that obedience. Then lastly, he will make us fishers of men where he will send us out to serve in ministry here in the church, to serve, be a missionary where you are, whether it's at the school or the workplace, at the home. To close, I want to ask you a few questions. I want to leave this, leave this slide up because the, there's no questions after. I want to, where are you in this process? You know the great thing about this process and I know from experience if you've stepped out of it for some reason you you've stopped following Jesus you've stopped letting him transform you you have stopped letting his heart become your heart you can always step back into it he invites you to do that I, I've been a part of that that was me at one point in my life you can always step back in but you have to say where, where am I in this process how would you answer the following questions how are you doing at helping Wind Baptist Church make disciples? How are you doing personally? Because listen, you're going to have to stand before God. And it doesn't matter how much you've memorized of what Jesus said. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Man, you know what, my, you know what one of my greatest desires is? Is to stand before Jesus and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for doing what I gave you to do. That was to make disciples. How are you doing at becoming a disciple of Jesus? Where are you in this process? And then lastly, how is your small group Bible study doing at making disciples? Man, are you guys just reading the lesson and praying and talking about Arkansas and win football or whoever, Arkansas State, and then going home? Just having meals every now and then? Are you inviting lost people? You know there's a red chair in every class. You know why that red chair exists? So that you could be praying for somebody to fill that chair in your class. I know groups that have taken that seriously and their classes have grown. Some of you, I had some classes that took it out of their class altogether. Like they were scared of it. Let's don't pray for anybody. They'll mess up our little ministry here. You know, we got a little holy huddle going on here. We're a frozen chosen. We don't want anybody to mess this up. Hey, take that out. We don't want to pray for any new people. That's not what Jesus said. That's not his heart, is it? So if that's your class, I want to ask you to take some time and go, people, 
Are we making disciples? Are we helping Wind Baptist Church accomplish its mission of making a product? Or is your class just a warehouse for Christians? Is it just a little storage building in there? See, I never want Wind Baptist Church to become a warehouse for Christians. I want us to be a factory that people... Here's what I would love. I would love for Jesus to go, hey, you guys want to know how to make disciples? Come check out Wind Baptist Church. They're doing it right. Man, they're reaching people. They're helping them grow in their walk. Man, they are living in submission to me. They have got my heart into their heart. It's in the DNA of the church. Man, come here. You've got to see this church and what God's doing here. That's what I want to see. But we can't do it alone. The staff can't do it alone. We need you. You're part of the church. You realize we don't come to church. Y'all realize that? That's a fallacy. That's a myth. Because somehow church became a building, and so we have to go to the building. I know churches have taken, they don't even call it the church anymore. They call it the gathering place because they want their people to get that you are the church. We are the church. I try not to tell Joshua that we're going to church. I want to know that we're going to Bible study. We're going to worship. Because I don't want him to get in mind that somehow everything has to happen in a building. Because you don't make disciples in a building. You make disciples in real life, one-on-one life. Are you doing that in your small group? I don't know if you are or not. I can't answer that. But I can look at the attendance rolls and I can see who's added people to their group. I can see how needs are being met. I can see how people are loving on people. I can see where there's joy in that class. I can see when people come to me and say, Mike, we need a bigger class because, man, we're busting at the seams. I can see that. So how's your small group Bible study doing it, making a disciple, one who follows Christ, one who knows Christ, grows in Christ, and goes for Christ. Bow your heads with me. Tonight, I, I don't know. I mean, you may, you may be here and you've never entered into that relationship with Christ. Let me tell you, man, it is amazing. And many of us here can tell you what that, was, that day was like when we submitted our life to Christ and said, here, take it all. I want to receive you not just as Lord, but as, save, as Savior, but, but I also want to receive you as Lord. And, and I want to quit making decisions for my own life because I keep messing it up. And I need you, Lord. And Todd and I will be down here. We'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus Christ who came to be your Savior. And he came to be your Lord. But I also want to ask you, church, Wind Baptist Church, where are you in this discipleship process? How are you doing it, making disciples? How's your small group Bible study doing? And tonight, you may just need to take some time. You can come down here. As Todd said, these steps don't exist just to help us get from the floor to here. They exist for us to come before the Lord humbly and say, Lord, here's what I'm dealing with. I like coming to the steps because it takes the distractions off of me. We'll pray with you. Maybe you need to grab your, your, your Bible study leader or grab your uh, spouse and say, let's go pray. I want us to be a part of a church that makes disciples. And it's only going to happen when we, when we start doing that process. Come and pray. Seek God's face.